we go. This is Thursday, August the 5th, and we are sitting in the Honolulu Police Department, uh, downtown Honolulu, and we're going to talk a little bit with uh, Mike and Rob and um, cover a couple of things about the drone program that we have in place with the Honolulu Fire Department and how that came to be. Um, my name is Eddie Molina. I am the Southeast Regional Manager for the Alert Program and am the host for this show. There, our podcast is called The Call. The Call, we picked that name to represent the way we guys, we all of us get dispatched uh, on the first responder side. Cops and firefighters get called out all the time. So that's a little bit about who I am um, and my partner. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah. I am um, Emily Pettit, the Senior Alert Coordinator for the Alert Center in San Marcos, Texas. Cool. And also on the panel with us, we have a, a, a new partner that's along with us for this ride. We're spending a, a week in Honolulu. Tough assignment, but we're, um, we're willing to do it for the program. <laughs> um, we're joined today by Mike Little. Um, Mike, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Mike Little. I uh, work with the uh, Regional Training Group. I actually sit in the Joint Regional Intelligence Center, which is the LA Area Fusion Center, and where I do a range of uh, intelligence sharing, information sharing, training coordination for our partner uh, agencies, uh, both in LA, uh, departments in LA, and of course the six counties that the JRIC covers. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for sitting in with us. We appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Pushing yourself to come to Honolulu. Wonderful. Yeah. Rob, how about an intro? Hi. So I'm Captain Rob E. Mai. Honolulu Fire Department and I'm program lead for the unmanned aircraft systems program and I've been a fireman or firefighter for 26 years. 26 years okay cool so I was going to ask you about the stars on your uniforms I've seen a lot of you guys with the stars on there are those like do they represent a time span? Yes one star represents five years. Oh okay cool so 26 years you've been around for a little while you've probably seen a lot of changes in the fire service so I'm looking forward to hearing all of the changes What's your plan, man? How many years you got left here? I can go out in December. Yeah. I've talked to a specialist, a retirement specialist, and my numbers are good. I can go out in December, but my program is finally taking off, so maybe I'll stick around for another year or two. Yeah, and, and that um, we, that's kind of jumping right into it, man. You jump to the nature of why we do what we do, mm-hmm. and you'll find that there's always cool stories about how we got started in, in the uh, – in first responders uh, in the industry mm. but man you're you're a giver you're here to serve and when you finally get the chance to do something like this it's hard to walk away from the from the actual yeah. place yeah yeah what brought you into the fire department my stepfather was actually a firefighter and um, actually wanted to be an air, airline pilot growing up that was my my career goal um, but uh, he kind of was explaining to me growing up how much he loved his job and he just turned me so I took the test and I did well and I got in thanks to him that's awesome so did you grow up on the island half and half I was born in um, partially I was in born in California Gardena California my parents were divorced so my mom moved to Oahu so me and my sister came with her when I was about seven that's awesome where's, uh, where does Gardena li- uh, lie southern, southern so okay cool so I was southern California y'all came to Oahu and got started in school here, got, got, got into your next school here. Yeah. Um, started spreading your wings, trying to learn a little bit about island life. Yeah. Cool. So what was high school like? High school, uh, it was 
nerd, typical nerd guy. You know? Yeah. Um, I wasn't in any sports. Um, yeah, that's about it. I mean, I, I did okay in grades. I went to some college I never finished. Right. Um, it's just how it played out. Sure. Yeah. So, so you, you, the self-labeled nerd, you had your interest in certain things that you, you enjoyed doing. Is that what led you to what you're doing now with the drone program? No. No, actually, I was more of a video game kind of a nerd, playing video games all the time, computer games. I actually got into drones by a police officer. Uh, he actually was trying to sell me a drone. And I was like, what? I, I've never seen them before. And he showed it to me, and I said, okay, I'll buy it. So I did, and I just loved it ever since. And this was back in 2013. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to the drone thing, but mm. you, you, you hit something for me that I want to hear about. So you were a video game nerd. <laughs> yes. What was your favorite game? Back, well, shoot, I started with Apple's, Apple computers, Apple okay. IIs back in the day. I would say my best game. Well, I've been playing a lot lately, but the best game that I can recall, King's Quest. King's Quest, okay. Yeah. And that was straight off of the Apple system. Yeah. What's the big game now for you? Oh, I just scored a PlayStation 5, so I've been playing this game called God of War. Okay. Oh, it's unreal. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I, I don't play I don't play video games. I grew up with an Atari system. Mm-hmm. And I, same. I, yeah, same thing. So it's, it, it was cool. It's like I remember those little games there, and things have changed so much. Yeah. But I, yeah. I have heard that people are remaking those old games. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I'd, I'd love to see those with the with the new style graphics and, and see the old Unreal games. nowadays, yeah. If you still have that Atari system, it's uh, worth a lot more now. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, that's interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I'd love to at some point explore some of that stuff and maybe learn a little bit about it. But I, I see kids playing games, and like, I can't keep up with it. I just don't, I don't know if I can, but I'll try it. <laughs> cool. So high school, a um, little bit of college, and then how old were you when you came into the fire service? I was 24. 24 years old. Yeah. That's awesome. So what was the um, what was the entrance like for you? You just took the test. It went well for you? Yeah. Took the test. Uh, I did okay. I don't remember what my ranking was. And then you had to do an agility test. Um, I wasn't really a runner then, uh, but I did my qualification. Swimming was my thing. Uh, I, I aced the swim, and I got in. Okay, that sounds cool. So you said you weren't a runner then. Are you a runner now? <laughs> Enough. Yeah? Yeah. It's it's something to pass the time, something to get exercise. Sure. But, man, when you're a runner here on the island, it's like a, you guys have a view here that's just yeah. incredible. Yeah. I've been here once before, and that was one of the standout things for me was I got to experience runs on the island and see the, the yeah, just all the foliage, the greenery that you guys have. It's yeah. just crazy the way things grow here. Yeah. So I love that, and just the views are great. What was the coolest thing that you remember about the change, um, the landscape change from California to Hawaii? The air. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot cleaner here. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. There's a lot of smog. I don't really remember much because I was still very young. Right. But I do enjoy going back from time to time. Uh, if I didn't get into the fire department, I was looking at moving back. So that's what happened. I played out like like that good ended up being a a good fortune for you yeah yeah well cool so tell me some about your assignments in the fire department along the way my assignments okay um maybe my first 10 years i was a firefighter one 
just your basic hoseman. I got promoted to hazmat, so I got some hazmat background. So I was a hazmateer for about five years. Uh, I got promoted to driver. We call it firefighter three here. Uh, I was doing that for about seven years on the west side in Kapolei where I'm near and got promoted to captain. Wow, that's great. So captain at 26 years, is that is that pretty common? Is that about the time span for you, or did you did no, you find I'm promotions? Late. Yeah, you're I'm late behind. Late. Yeah, oh, okay, I'm cool. A late bloomer. Did you find yourself just kind of like you you found a good homes and in, in the assignments you were at? Yes. You just enjoyed doing that. Yeah, I know that's what I did. And, yeah. and when I was in the police department, I found such a good home in, on the special operations side. I didn't want to promote. I didn't want to move on from there because no, no. I was just so happy where I was at. Yeah, that's good. So, what drove you to the drones? So like I said, uh, I bought my first drone in 2013 from a police officer. Okay. And I was like, hey, this is fun, you know, before I knew all the rules. And right about, I'd say 2014, uh, Fire Administration started forming a little uh, work group. There was a group, work group of three. And uh, we started to go to conferences and learning about the technology because it was just in the very beginning. Um, kind of died off for a little bit everybody went their way own ways and one day I got a call from uh, second in command then hey do you want to start up this program I want you to lead it so if second command asks you to do it you do it so I did it and it's the rest is history so I've been doing this for about seven years about seven years cool yeah. so what were what were the biggest challenges on setting the program up buy-in still a still an issue yeah. uh, not everybody's bought in fully yet Who's the hardest people to convince? Administration. Admin, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what do the guys in the field think about your program? Honestly, I'd say uh, maybe 25% of the department uh, are curious or have used us before. The rest of them don't even know we exist. Wow. Yeah. What are some of the uh, examples of the calls you get sent out to? Oh, yeah. Um, we go to a lot. We go to a lot of brush fires, structure fires, uh, a lot of missing persons where we work with Kalai, uh, rescue companies, um, right. mountainous, ocean rescues, shoreline rescues, uh, hazmat calls. And on the non-emergency side, we do a lot of uh, aerial pre-plans for fire companies who request it. So. Okay, that's interesting. So how many people are in your unit? Ten. We have ten in our cadre. That's awesome. So you have 10 people there, and how many drones do you all fly? Oh, good question. I wish I was prepared for that. I could say eight. eight okay. Mission drones right now. So if we're on a call somewhere, we have a big fire, or we have a rescue, and we need you out there, mm -hmm. how many people does it take? How many people do you have to send out with a drone? Very good question. So uh, in order for us to fly as a public aircraft uh, government, we have to get this thing called a uh, certificate of authorization which we uh, have it's called a COA and the COA states it's a two-man two-man operation okay so you have to send two people out on every operation and if there's a rescue we usually have more okay yeah so will you have more people more drones a little bit more of everything out there mm -hmm. that's great so what are the cert certifications that you guys have to go through to be qualified to, to fly these things I knew he was gonna ask. okay so in order for us to fly, uh, we were given a choice. We can go with the Certificate of Authorization, a COA, 
or fly under Part 107 uh, certification. We actually did both. Okay. What's the advantage? Uh, one advantage is you have the uh, provisions all laid out in a call. So it's an all-encompassing uh, document that says, okay, you can do this, this, and this for emergencies. Whereas the 107, it's kind of like piecemeal kind of operations. Okay. So you'd have to get additional waivers. To, it's very complicated. Yeah. Okay. So since I don't have any history with uh, drones except what I've seen, and I've seen our the old department where I worked at, they were mm -hmm. they were moving into a drone program, and I've seen the way people use drones as far as like um, for footage, just for taking pictures and making their own personal videos. Yeah. And I've heard of different things being drones being used for different operations out there. When you guys are called out to a scene, mm -hmm. or you guys are going to plan an operation. Are there certain steps that you guys have to abide by, like according to the FAA side? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we need to see is if what airspace we're in. We can't just fly a drone. So I'll give you an example. I'm stationed in East Kapolei, which is within a five-mile ring of Kalailoa Airport, which is a Class D airspace airport. In order for us to fly in an emergency within that airspace, there's a number of things we need to do. We need to coordinate with air traffic control, let them know where we are, how high we're requesting to fly, you know, the radius of our operations. There's a lot of things we need to do. Okay. And so if, I guess, do things change during operations? Like if air travel changes or do aerial landing strips change during the, during the course of your operation, will that change what you guys are able to do? Uh, depends. Not for us so far. So if we happen to be working in that five-mile ring, we have to be monitoring on ICOM that particular airport's frequency. So should something happen, we got to communicate on that ASAP. You know, if we get a flyaway or something happens. But usually they coordinate their flights around us where we are at. That's awesome. So, what, so okay, so you've been a part of some good operations and along the way. Yeah. What are some of the more standout operations that you guys have participated in? Uh, the hibiscus shooting. Okay. Uh, we were called out to that. That was pretty unreal. What was your role in that? So uh, Chief called me and asked me to bring a team down. So we went down there, and at the time that we arrived, nobody knew where the shooter was. And so we flew up. We turned on thermal trying to look in the brush. Maybe the guy was hiding in the brush. He wasn't there. We weren't picking anything up, you know, in the area. And at that point, I think maybe about 50 minutes later, they were just monitoring the fires before everybody went in because it yeah. was still burning. I think it was like seven houses were burning. So we're just monitoring if there's going to be exposures burning, you know, just from the air so we could let them know. So you, you said you turn on the thermals. What kind of camera systems do you have on, the, on those uh, drones? Yeah, so that one, um, I don't even remember. That was the M210 uh, platform. It's a large platform, UAS. Uh, that one. Uh, when you say the M210, is that the name of the, the actual the model, drone? The model. Of the drone. Of okay. the drone. And we how, big is it, is it, how big is a drone like that? Oh, shoot. Maybe 15 pounds. Oh, wow. That's a big quarter, one. Quarter the size of the table. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. So a strong one. Yeah. Okay. And they're carrying pretty heavy cameras. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like a regular camera, uh, dual a payload. Camera. So we had a, a regular visible visible camera and a thermal XT2. I don't know what exactly what the specs were, but they're very good, 640 resolution. So it's pretty spot on. Okay. And is that about a standard loadout for for the birds you all are flying? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. 
Oh, that's interesting. So how have you said you've been doing this for seven years? About seven. Well, yeah, sure. on, on this program. Has technology changed for you guys in that short of a time? Yeah, I'd say so. We now have one of our newer drones. We have three cameras built into one. Wow. There's more uh, companies making payload delivery systems. We can drop packages, mesh bags, life preserver to somebody. Um, we can stream feeds to wherever we want to now. Um, yeah. Well, just curious, three cameras built into one. What would be the purpose of the function? Obviously, infrared, you know, video. Why yeah, so the three, that the one we have, it's called the H20T camera. Mm -hmm. It has a zoom camera. I see. A regular visual camera, and then you got your infrared thermal type. Gotcha. Yeah. So those are all, so they're all interesting facts so far, but one of the cool things that we, uh, you know, we, we met up with a new partner this week. Mike, you have a little bit of background in a drone program. Oh. Well, more than anything, trying to trying to move our program along or get it moving. Uh, obviously, uh, drones are relatively new when it comes to uh, use within public safety, and and so and certainly being authorized to be utilized by the FAA and mm. in emergency operations, uh, this is still very new. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a few agencies that are really leaders in the business. Sounds like you're one of them, and you know, uh, kudos to you and your your agency for getting you to where you are. Um, when we talk about drones. UAS, you know, unmanned aerial systems, uh, both from the threat perspective, they, they can represent a threat, they can be hostile, utilized by, you know, criminals, terrorists to, to do some bad things. Uh, within public safety, uh, I, I think there's a tremendous future for the use of drones or UAS, a variety of, of applications, and, and undoubtedly those that we haven't even thought of yet. And so, yes, I did have some folks that, that we, uh, we put on, on task to look at uh, drones and UAS and determine, you know, the parameters of how they can be utilized. Um, uh, obviously, for situational awareness, getting those up to feedback uh, video of an incident would be one application. Beyond that, he talked about hazmat, the ability to actually get that in there, um, you know, take samples of air and so forth and, and feed that information back. That can be done much more quickly than getting a person suited up and to do an entry. And so I don't know if you're doing anything like that, but certainly at some point that'll be one of the applications. Um, beyond that, you know, you may have even seen some video where people are, you know, using drones to deliver a, uh, a defibrillator, you know, and actually a dispatcher who is able to communicate with an mm -hmm. individual via the drone. And so this is not something that I've seen in use by departments in the United States. But undoubtedly, somewhere down the line, this is going to be another application where we'll actually see delivery of, um, you know, life-saving equipment uh, via a drone. You're talking about dropping um, equipment to a person who may be stranded. Payloads, yeah. Payloads. There's a, a tremendous number of applications. Um, it's just up to leaders, you know, obviously like uh, Honolulu Fire and other agencies out yeah. there to explore that and make that practical in the world of public safety. Yeah, that's huge. And, and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to, to tackle on this is, what do you guys see as the future of your program here in Honolulu? Because I know you're seven years into it, and you talked about the first drone you got you bought from a, from a police officer. What was that? Do you remember that first drone? I do. What was it? It was a Phantom One. All right. DJI Phantom One. Yeah. And what was that so, like? I mean, how like how did that rank and what you got or what you like? Oh man, that one you had to attach a GoPro. Um, you couldn't see what the drone could see. You know, you couldn't get a live feed. Um, yeah, your range was very limited. And this was before I knew all the rules, so I flew it any old where. But yeah, compared to the stuff we have now, it's leaps and bounds. 
better. Yeah. So what's what's the future look like of the technology? What does the future look like for like what's your next drone that you want to buy for your program? Actually, there really isn't anything that I can see us getting. Um, and I kind of keep up with the technology. Sure. We pretty much got the high end stuff that the, for us. But um, as far as expansion, the only thing that I wish I could see is we expand more in our department, you know, having a set um, drone team, designated set location where we're going to be, have different satellite stations where we can have drones standby, you know, at another location. Right. Better live feed maybe in the future. That's what I want to see. Okay. Yeah. So right now we have a little bit of latency. You talked about dropping a, a payload out for, for whatever a rescue mm. or for, for a water situation. What's the heaviest payload you guys have dropped? So the platform that we have, we have a drop system. It's limited to three and a half pounds, but that's actually a lot. Yeah. So we've trained with it. We could, what we do is we have a mesh laundry bag. We put a couple of bottled waters in it and we wrap it up with an emergency blanket when maybe we'll put in a walkie talkie and some snacks. So if rescue, like Kalai, they go and find a hiker, but the it's just too windy, unsafe for the them to make a drop or you know rappel off or find them. They tell them that you guys are gonna have to stay overnight. So we can come in and maybe we can drop them a care package. Okay, I got you. Yeah, life preserver is a little bit not really realistic, but because by the time if we brought if there was a drowning or something, it's kind of a little bit too late. Right because it'll take us about 20 minutes to get there. Sure. You know, I just asked a question. You mentioned the hibiscus incident that you mm. utilized the drone, and, and I can think of that being one of the best applications or the best returns on that investment because, you know, you have a, a large hot zone. You've got a shooter. I think you had a rifle, and so you, you really can't get firefighters too close to that situation, um, but you're going to have to do that search to determine potentially yes. where, where the shooter is. Mm -hmm. Do you have people that need to be rescued? And, uh, and so the drone would be one of the best tools to utilize in I that situation. So. My curiosity, is there a, an operation or a specific approach? Now, we know there's potentially side A, Alpha, Bravo, you know, Charlie Delta. There, there are ways we conduct searches, uh, you know, in, in the real world. Is there some approach to conducting a search with a drone that, that you can speak to when you're in a scenario like that, where you've got a fire, there's a shooter, and you're going to put a drone in the air to search either for a shooter or for potential victims or people that are in need of rescue? Yeah, as far as the drone side, we don't have any set procedure as far as that, mm -hmm. how we're going to fly in. Yes. So based off of what I train our operators is you got to do a risk assessment. So we're definitely not going to be flying over people. That's against the FAA rule. Um, so when I got there, hey, can you get it up right away? You know, that hibiscus fire. So I got it up right away, kept the distance. I don't know if the guy was gonna shoot at it. You know, we didn't know where he was, so I kind of kept our distance. Yeah. And that's what we ended up doing. That's about it. Mm -hmm. So that was a hot, it was a very hot scene, not just the, the fact that there was a shooter there, but there was seven houses on fire at one point, and there's a lot of heat coming off of that, and heat creates its own problems um, outward, but also upward. So was there any problems that were created by all that heat for you guys? Uh, it's for, for firemen, it's kind of common sense. You kind of want to stay upwind of the smoke. I believe that day the wind was blowing east, so we're on the west side of it. You're not going to fly in smoke. Right. So, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. I just kind of figured there would be some swirls of, of the heat pushing your, your bird around, and that's good to hear that you didn't have that problem. That. It was just chaos. Yeah? Yeah. How many of your teams were out there? 
Uh, that day, I think we had three guys. Yeah. So I believe I was flying and I had two spotters with me. Were you on duty that day or did they call you in? I don't remember. I think I think I was off duty. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was off duty. Yeah. I've had a I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of uh, people that were on scene that day and it's incredible how many people were actually off duty that showed up and, and responded. A lot like what happened with 9-11, there was people that were off duty and firefighters across the board will respond. Even if they're off duty, they're gonna put their gear on and they're gonna drop yeah. their families off yeah. and let's go to work. And we truly appreciate that about the fire service because that's the mentality of you guys. Um, but yeah, I always like to hear, man, were you guys off duty or on duty? Because so many of y'all respond when you don't have to. And that's cool. So you guys responded, you had about three teams out there. Um, was there anybody out there that you guys knew or any, any of the people that were hurt that day? Did you guys have any familiarity with the teams that were out there on the ground? No, not at all. No. Not at all. There was so many people there, so many police officers. Everybody came. FBI was there. Um, we just parked away, out of the way. We didn't want to get in, in the way of anybody um, and just flew. How were the comms out there that day? Because there was, there was chaos. There was chaos. There was tons of people out there, a lot of stuff happening all at the same time. How was the communication for you guys between your your teams and the people on the ground and the people in the command center? How, how was communications there? Uh, we had one point of contact, uh, Sonny Santos, I okay. believe his name is, and uh, he was going back and forth ask, telling us what to do. But he was already busy already, so it was very rare. So we just waited until he told us to go, you know. So, yeah, that, that's good info. I, I know Sonny, I know he stays busy. He, I think he knows everybody on the island and people that haven't, haven't moved to the island yet, he probably already knows yeah, them. He's, yeah. he's, got a, he's got a wide range of people that he knows, so I know he stays busy. So if you were able to help those guys out, I mean, I, I can only imagine that that eye in the sky is going to help people with their movements. Had you been through any special trainings before that, um, before that incident that you think helped you out to familiarize yourself with the, the command structure or the staging setup? No, not at all. Just your basic ICS structure type of stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah, as far as drone training, no. So has training for you guys or has training with the department changed at all to where you feel like there's been, um, I guess, an improvement in the training that familiarizes you with the structure of the staging or that makes it easier for you to communicate with the PD and the fire guys at the same time? I think it's still a work in progress, but uh, one of our uh, battalion chiefs runs the active threat program and I coordinate with him and we, we go back and forth with information how we can improve things. Okay, and that, that's uh, Chief Craig? Yes. Craig Uchimura, he's a, yeah, he's a great guy. Also, just like Sonny, he stays very busy and he seems to always uh, make himself available to help people out. But you guys in the Honolulu Fire Department don't lack for anybody's vision. Like y'all, people have great vision here and you guys are always looking for something new, a better way to expand, a better way to improve. So we like, we like hearing those stories, right? Mm -hmm. So 26 years in the fire service, mm -hmm. what are the biggest changes, the biggest improvements that you've seen along the way? Yeah. Better quality of life at work. Uh, we got better stations. Uh, most stations are renovated. Um, yeah, that's about it. It's pretty much the same almost from yeah. when I first got in. It's yeah. probably one of the few departments. I mean, we think Hawaii was not a state until 1959, I believe it was. And so you were founded in 1851. So the, the 
lion's share of the history of the Honolulu Fire Department was not a part of the United States. Mm. I mean, just kind of an interesting side note. Yeah. I don't know if there's a, a museum or something, but you know. Yeah, we do have a museum at our headquarters. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I, I love hearing that, and, and it's interesting that you have that perspective of the improved quality of life at work is huge, so people don't understand. Can you explain a little bit about the standard firefighters shift and what life is like on, on duty? Sure. Um, so the way our shift work, work works is we work 10, roughly 10 days of the month, 24-hour shifts. Uh, as an example, uh, say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll work a 24-hour shift. Tuesday, Thursday would be 24s off. And after that third shift, we have a four-day break, and that, that cycle just rotates. And it works out 10 days of the month. And there's three platoons, three watches, so three different companies at each station. Okay. So, so with that type of a schedule, it seems like your four-day gap would constantly rotate? Uh, rotate? Or does it stay? Do you, do you keep the same four days off every week? After it follows that cycle, yeah. Okay, cool. So then you have four days off, you come back to work, you do three sets of 24, 24, off, 24 on, 24 off, and you have the four-day gap again. Mm -hmm. So what's life like at the station when you report to work? Uh, first thing, do the uh, manpower, make sure we have all our guys that's on duty, make sure everybody's, uh, you got to do temperature checks, sure. you know, COVID. Right. Um, yeah, so we'll do all the uh, administrative work in the morning. Um, we usually go and drill, some kind of drill in the morning. Then what, we what's that? Like drills? What do you what do you all do? Wet drills. Uh, pull some line. Make sure our driver can pump. You know, everybody's uh, good at it. Um, your basic ropes and knot drills. Whatever we need to cover. Okay. So sta so standard um, practice for the day. Yeah. And then if somebody on our truck is cooking, then we go shop for cooking. You know, go grocery store. Now that's what I want to hear about yeah. right there. Yeah. So I know we have the big rivalries, LE and Fire. We have big rivalries, but one of the things that we truly appreciate is that you guys let us in when you guys are cooking. So, who's the best cook at your station? On my watch has to be Mike Mendez, who happens to be my right hand and my in my drone program. Um, he's actually from LA, and he's a he makes really good Mexican food. Ah, tell me about that. Yeah, so what's your, what was your specialty uh, cooking? Jeez, I was a terrible cook even when I was cooking. <laughs> um, beef sukiyaki. Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I remember that one was pretty popular at work. Uh, lobster bisque. I used to make a pretty good seafood bisque. Man, that's interesting. You, your, your range is pretty, pretty big. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, do you remember your specialty? Um... No, not really. I, I don't think I was ever really a good cook, and so I don't know if I had a go-to uh, plate, so to speak. But you know, a lot of Italian food, lasagna, that kind of thing, easy, hard to mess up lasagna. And something you can cook for a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of people in the in the station at the same time. Cool. So so cooking, obviously, right? So what about so one of the things on our side that we're going to jack with you all about is mm -hmm. we we see guys that cook, and we see the guy the CrossFit guys, we see the workout guys, and we see. Um, all the little things that you guys are doing so you cook what about the workouts when you all when you all get your workouts in is that part is that like a yeah. is that a designated time or something you guys just work in yeah so because of covid um uh i tell my guys i don't want everybody all congested in the workout room 
you know, kind of space it out. So I tell them after lunch, if you want to work out, go ahead. But normally we have it at 4, uh, 4 p.m., 1600. Okay. That's the workout time. Okay, that's cool. And so what, okay, I'm, I'm just assuming that workouts take a take a second second place or the back seat when we have calls, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how long, uh, what's the longest shift you've ever been on? I know 24 is a standard shift, but when special things happen out there, we have to uh, make accommodations for it. I know that during uh, 9-11, everybody went to work. I was off duty when 9-11 started, kicked off, and we got called in and we stayed at work for a couple of days. And then before we figured out the 12 hour shifts, what did you guys do or what do you, what are your, like, what's yeah. your standard response when there's something big? Our standard response? Or when something big kicks off, like, like a like a nine eleven type of a deal, what's the longest shift you've ever been on? Good. Okay. Now I know exactly. Uh, in I believe it was either two thousand or two thousand one, we had a big high rise fire. It was called the Interstate Building Fire. Okay. Um, I remember I was on shift, and I ended up getting called for that. So I ended up working seventy two hours straight. Wow. I expected everybody to stay in, stay on duty. Huh. It was in fact it was a mandatory because the manpower was so bad. 72 hours is a long a time to stay. Hours yeah. stay. Yeah. To stay actually in the fight mentally, it's a long time. What rank were you at at that point? I was a one. Yeah. Yeah. So you were actually boots on the ground, hands yeah. on the hose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't remember that fire. Which, I mean, what year was that and loss of life or? You know what, actually, what I might have gotten that mixed up with uh, 9 11. Um, it was earlier, maybe it might have been the late 90s, yeah. but it was uh, the, the interstate fire, one of the interstate one fire, HFD's yeah. bigger high-rise fires was it compared a, to the Marco Polo. Business office or yeah, hotel? Was, I remember it because that's where our credit union was. Oh, it wow. was in town. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So but we I really know that I was a firefighter one. Okay. So that was a long, it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's your longest shift. What's the... Uh, the squirreliest fire you ever had to fight or the, the weirdest call you've ever been on? Oh, geez, I got so many. Yeah. Um, I can't think of one right now. I've been to a lot of squirrely ones, but it's not coming to me. But I'll let you know when I remember. All right. So I know that there were standards when I, when I was um, when I was on the streets and I was doing patrol calls. There, there was uh, regular customers. Um what is it what was it about the um the regulars that you remember or is there any particular regulars that you remember responding to regulars yeah the regulars that somebody was sick all the time or somebody had something going on at the house all the time where fire got called out to them did you guys have that problem yeah we everybody gets those yeah um we just got to do what we got to do i mean it could be frustrating but we got to do our job even if it's one of those all sure absolutely if somebody's somebody's arm was hurt or somebody felt a little sick yeah. So those were the, those were the, the I guess the the regular repeat customers. Yeah, the frequent flyers. I think yes, the frequent flyers. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, do you remember anything about your, your frequent flyers? Um, not not really to be to be frank with you. I, I know during the this whole SWAT liaison time, there were frequent flyers that were, you know, the uh, the jumpers. You know, the people that had. Uh, sadly, you know, really, yeah. it's not something that to uh, make a humorous note, but you know, mental health disorders. Yeah. that would threaten suicide and, and there are several frequent flyers uh, sadly folks that would uh, find themselves in that situation yep. you know a number of times and uh, fortunately very competent and skilled folks that manage those situations and uh, sad to see but good to see we have competent professionals that know how to talk them off a ledge well you seem to have led me right in the right direction so that was one of the things that I noticed growing up in the department 
when we responded to the regulars, the young guys like myself and the older guys that were out there on the streets for a while, we each had a different mindset when we went to that place because, like you said, there, it's somebody that has more experience than me out there actually responding. Did you notice that difference on the fire side that when you all went to the regulars that the older guys had a different response than you as a, as a younger guy? Um, I can say this. Uh, you know, a lot of the younger guys, and I, I was probably like that when I was uh, first, first got in, they get excited for structure fires. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you get older, as you get more in your career, I'm like, that's somebody's house. You shouldn't be getting excited to go to something like this. So that's. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. We have that, that, that certain bit of experience. We're, we're responding for a reason. And, and there's actually, there was a reason that you guys started the service, right? Yeah. And it kind of it kind of rings true when we have those guys that have been there for a little while pointing it out to us. Go ahead, Mike. No, just, you know, it's pretty simple. Law enforcement, fire service, it, it, you're there to help people. And if, you're, if you lack compassion, if you're there for fun, if you're there for, you know, the, uh, how could you put it, that, um, you know, the, the drive that comes with the exciting incidents, you know, maybe your heart's not in the right place. It's sure. really about helping people. Uh, they're dialing 911. They are, as was mentioned earlier, in a position of vulnerability. They do need your help, and they need people that are compassionate, that, that know how to see that that is a human being, that is someone's property, yeah. uh, that is a tragedy in someone's life. And if you're missing that, I think that maybe comes with age and maturity, perhaps, mm -hmm. but it's important to push that down as leaders, that that's really what we're here for. These are the things people can talk about in an interview. Yeah. But, you know, two years later, are they still that person who's concerned about serving in their community and doing it for the right reasons? Yeah, absolutely. And with leadership and setting up a brand new program like you guys are doing, is there anything that you would recommend to whether it's the young aspiring firefighters or the, the, the kids out there that are thinking about creating a, um, a career of being a drone operator? Because there's a lot of people out there that this is a big field for this, a big expanding field right now. Is there something in particular that you look for in somebody that you would want to recruit to your unit? Or is there something that you would recommend to the kids that aspire to do this? Well, they, we do get quite a bit of people requesting to be in the drone program. Due to budget, we can't just take anybody right now. Present right. in the budget state that we're in. Um, but what I do is I just make sure they're responsible. I mean, I'll, I'll give them a sample. It's like, okay. We're here, you're gonna fly the drone. What is the first thing you're gonna do? I wanna hear them say risk assessment. I wanna see if they have a background of the rules and regulations regarding the FAA. Do you guys, do you know the airspace you're in? Did you check TFRs? Are we allowed to fly today? You know, stuff like that. As long as they know that kind of stuff, maybe. Yeah. I'll bring them in. That, get, that gets them all uh, to the door. Yeah, and on the flip side, you had asked a student wanting to get into a drone program sure. or, or something. I gotta say this, so the city, uh, the state of Hawaii, um, you, get, you get city and county and the state of Hawaii, you get all these different departments. We actually had a drone, uh, citywide, uh, citywide drone work group. All the different agencies all got together, who's interested in drones. Once they realized how much work needed to be put into a drone program, nobody wanted to do it. I'm gonna be totally honest. Only us and HPD. All right. Yeah. It e takes a lot of work. So if you could go back to your to your kid days mm. to prepare for this for this uh, work field, yeah. is there anything you would have studied or, or learned more about? 
it, earlier I'd said that I wanted to be an airline pilot. Right. I wish I actually got a pilot's license. That probably helped my background a little bit. Um, wow, that's interesting. You know, the rules. To learn the FAA rules? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little bit. And um, back then I didn't do it because it was expensive to get the training for becoming a private pilot. Right. I wish I did it. That's cool. Yeah, so you have something? Oh, no, I was just going to say it's important to have people that keep pace with this this industry. It's it's a, it's a new, you know, really industry, uh, UASs and such, uh, the threats that they represent. Um, just on the beach, I, I see people, drones flying around. I don't know yeah. the legalities of some of that. But, um, you know, they're being utilized to uh, to deploy bombs. I mean, there's all kinds of threats that they represent. They can be very useful, but we need people to stay engaged in this business. Um, you know, uh, obviously in its various applications in public safety, but also keeping awareness of where it can actually threaten our, our communities and they represent a threat to public safety. Yeah. yeah. So 26 years on, you're pretty close to retirement. Mm. What does off time look right now like for, for Rob? When you're off duty, what is, uh, what's, your, what's your thing? Uh, my, I have two daughters, both in softball. Oh. So that's a lot of my days off. I get know, taking that. Taking them to practice and my, my video <laughs> games. Wow, that's awesome. But I also have my phone with me. I'm on call, sort of on call to Chief Craig. If he calls me for a drone mission, I can rally my team up, you know. Yeah, you're the leader of the program, yeah. so you're always you're on always call pretty call much. Me, yeah. well, that's cool. Do your kids do the travel? Do you all have travel ball on the island? Because I know, uh, so so travel ball in, in this on the mainland, any sport that there is, there's, tra there's a travel aspect to it. So we did that a lot. We were always traveling for baseball, traveling mm -hmm. for tennis and, and all that. So I was wondering what that's like here on the island. But softball will keep you busy. Kids will keep you busy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you got to have hobbies like the video games and all that. Yeah, they've my been traveling a, a bit, my, my, yeah. my girls. Yeah, every year there's something. That's, do you all go to the mainland? Yeah. Really? Tournaments. Where's, where's the coolest tournament you all have been to? Vegas. Oh, yeah. That last couple of years ago, we went to a tournament in Las Vegas. That was fun. That sounds cool. Yeah. That's great. That's great. That's a great vacation. And they're, they're never just wind down vacations when sports are involved. You're yeah. going to go and do yeah. sports. Mike, I'm not even going to ask you what your off time's like because I know you'll, you'll never quit working. Thank you. Uh, and thank you to all the littles that are out there <laughs> waiting for us to get done with you. I know that you, uh, you, you give away a lot of time, so I really appreciate that of you. Yeah. It, it takes a balance. You know, obviously, I, I like what I do. I love the people I work with. It's it's an important mission. Obviously, homeland security, counterterrorism. It's it's a, a broader, it's an element I should say of public safety. You know, really, and um, and I as long as I've been involved in this in the different facets, you know, counterterrorism and obviously the different special mission areas. And right now, the intelligence sharing coordination. I like doing it. It's very uh, I think gratifying, helping us to be better at how we coordinate and in, in all the very bad things that can happen out there and. Ultimately, we're talking about saving people's lives, and so I very much enjoy that, and I'm glad that I'm able to, you know, meet the very talented people that have the same passion about what they do. It's very, very uh, rewarding. Yeah, thank you. Rob, any uh, recommendations on a book or a podcast or a movie that you, your most recent, that you, you would recommend to everybody? As far as drones? Or no, no, just overall for, for relaxation or for enjoyment. Oh, geez, okay. Um you have Amazon Prime I suggest the show called Bosch love that because it takes place in LA oh, yeah. all right <laughs> I have um, not seen that but I'll look for it yeah, yeah that's about it yeah. awesome cool I just throw out I you know I have a twin brother I may have mentioned that who's yeah. in the movie business first AD and so uh, wow. just 
it's, it's fascinating to talk with him. He's continuously talking to me to get the inside scoop on the different aspects of what we do. And so there's perhaps some reflection of my experience in, you know, uh, in his business. But, um, you know, being a part of this has been very, very special, but also being able to share those experiences with someone else who tries to portray that, you know, to people via, you know, the big screen. It's also a, a pretty, pretty fun part of what I do. Oh, cool. All right. Well, thanks for all the info. Thanks for taking your time. Guys, on behalf of the Alert Program, we definitely think, uh, thank you guys for being here and taking the time out of your day. And thank you to the Honolulu Fire Department for allowing this to happen. Uh, it's a real big thing for us to have you guys around. Um, look for us. Look for us on the web, yeah. alert.org, A-L-E-R-R-T.org. Uh, thanks again for being here. Emily, uh, why don't we wrap this up and fade to black?